Hi, this is Glenn Rawson. One of the most powerful ways to share history and heritage is by the telling of stories. We began sharing inspiring stories nearly 30 years ago. Each of those stories is true and was intended to inspire and strengthen faith. Over the years, those stories have reached millions around the world. This podcast is for you to listen, learn, and enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Why in the world would we spend so much time and the church spend so much effort talking about Joseph Smith? I've mentioned to you before that each time I've done a fireside on the prophet Joseph Smith, we have brought out the trolls and the haters in greater numbers than any other subject that I have talked about. Why is that? Joseph Smith seems to be a touchstone. Well, in part, let me see if I can explain why. Think about it. All those of you that are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, if you go back to those things most sacred, your temple ordinances, your temple ceilings, from whence do they originate? The Lord Jesus Christ, revealed through whom? Whether it's the Book of Mormon, the ordinances of salvation, or the doctrines that are most dear to your heart, families are forever, exaltation, and the divine eternity for all mankind. Whatever doctrine, whatever ordinance, whatever it is in this restoration that is most dear to you comes from the Lord Jesus Christ restored through the prophet Joseph Smith. Therefore, Joseph Smith indeed is a very keen nexus point. If he was a prophet of God and saw what he said he saw, received what he said he received, then we have the greatest message of this modern age. But if he was one wit a liar, as the world says that he is, well then, to be blunt, this entire church is a fraud. Everything about it is wrong, and it's the most damnable life foisted upon mankind since Lucifer fell. It's all or nothing, and the prophet Joseph Smith is the key point. It stands or falls right there. Was he indeed a prophet and saw what he said he saw, or was he not? The world will tell you he's not. There are those of us who know that he was. And tonight, I want to talk about something, a way that you can know more keenly than you've ever known before that Joseph Smith was a prophet of God. Now, you've been taught, and so have I, and it is veritably true that if you want to know if Joseph Smith is a prophet of God, study the Book of Mormon and pray about it. And not only will you know that the book is true, but you will also know that Joseph Smith, the translator, is a prophet of God. If the book is true, then surely the translator is true as well. But there's more than that. See, when I was young and new in the church, I read the Book of Mormon. And as I've shared with you in a previous fireside, I received a witness 
And I knew that the book was true by the power of the Holy Ghost in a way that I had never experienced to that point. It was though it was woven into every fiber of my being. One moment I didn't know, and the next moment doubt and uncertainty were gone. I knew by some power, almost like magic, I knew, and it was independent of me. I couldn't control it. I've learned over the years I can't demand it. I can't manipulate it. That power comes from God. Now, as time went on, I read the Book of Mormon more and more and more, and my witness grew even more certain and affirmed as time went on. And then a remarkable thing happened. I became involved in the Joseph Smith papers, and very wise, learned men and women opened up my eyes to the history. They threw the door on Joseph Smith wide open. I saw his faults, his failings, the weaknesses that the Doctrine and Covenants speaks of. I saw Joseph Smith the man. And rather than run and say, oh dear, the church isn't true, ah, and my foundation was pulled off from under me, no, it was just the opposite. Because I saw what Joseph was and what he accomplished from where he began at such humble beginnings, because I saw the man's weakness, his prophetic mantle became even greater. I'll give you an example. Joseph Smith began or received the Book of Mormon, the plates of the Book of Mormon, in 1827. By 1828, early 1828, he begins the translation process of the Book of Mormon. Now, in early 1828, how old is he? 22. He finished the translation of the Book of Mormon by 1829. How old is he? Well, 23. 23. His birthday is in December of 1805, so he finishes in June of 1829. If I've done my math right, either way, he's not very old. And I think back to what I knew and what I was capable of as a literary scholar at the age of 23, and that with a full high school education and some degree of college education by the age of 23. And I look at the Book of Mormon and I go, that's impossible. That's absolutely impossible. I couldn't translate. I couldn't create. I could never come up with something as complex, as detailed, as comprehensive and thorough, indeed, as mysterious as the Book of Mormon at the age of 23. And that Joseph did on the frontier with no education. In fact, brothers and sisters, the deeper into the history of Joseph Smith I went, the more impossible the Book of Mormon became. Now, there are those who would say, oh, that's okay. It was given to him by the devil. No, that's an uninformed statement. I've read the Book of Mormon, and I know, I know what scholars have shown, that the name of Christ shows up every 1.2 verses or something like that, but that's not the point. That's irrelevant 
to me through the pages of the Book of Mormon. I found Christ, if there is a Christ to be found. I found joy, peace, power, and comfort. Knowing my history made my witness of Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon even stronger, more sure, and more certain. And for that reason, I come tonight to talk about something else. Joseph would call it a branch of his calling. Here's the story. On October the 8th, 1829, Joseph Smith Jr. and Oliver Cowdery went down to the Grandin Press there in Palmyra, and they bought a large print Finney Bible, a family Bible, one of them big things, weighed about five pounds, actually, and they brought that Bible home. Well, we don't have any record of what happened in the interim, but somewhere around the 1st of June of 1830, now they bought it in late 1829, the Book of Mormon is translated and finished in August and goes to print in August of 1829. It comes off the press in March of 1830, and just a couple of months later, well, a few months later, in June of 1830, Joseph picks up that Finney Bible and begins to read the Bible at first under the influence of the Urim and Thummim. And what followed was Moses chapter 1. No one knows for sure because the records aren't extant. Did Joseph understand that those humble beginnings would be the beginning of the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible? We don't know. But at the very end of Moses chapter 1, this verse, In the day when the children of men shall esteem my words as not, and take many of them from the book which thou shalt write, behold, the Lord said to Moses, I will raise up another like unto thee, and they shall be had again among the children of men, among as many as shall believe. Whatever it was, Joseph kept going. He kept working on this. And from June to October of 1830, he worked on the translation of the Bible. Now, he started with the Old Testament, and he had as his principal scribe, Oliver Cowdery during that time. And then the Lord gives a revelation calling Oliver Cowdery and others to go on a mission among the Lamanites, and there is need now for another scribe, a man who becomes called as church historian to replace Oliver Cowdery. October 21st, 1830, John Whitmer is appointed as scribe and takes over. He continues the work of scribing for Joseph as he translates the Bible. Then, interestingly, if you look at the manuscript, on the 1st of December, 1830, the handwriting subtly changes, and there is some pages in there scribed by an unknown hand. Who is it? At first, people didn't even notice the change, but when scholars looked a little closer, they realized that's not the same handwriting. Both this mystery scribe and John Whitmer had a very careful hand. The discovery was not figured out until the 1990s with the education and skills of men like Dean C. Jesse 
it was finally determined that that mystery scribe on the translation of the Bible was Emma Smith. Well then, John Whitmer continues to scribe, maybe Emma filling in here and there. And then in mid-December, two strangers come from Ohio. They've come all that way to meet the prophet Joseph Smith. Their names are Edward Partridge and Sidney Rigdon. Both of these men come to meet the prophet. Sidney is a member of the church. Edward is coming to investigate. Edward is skeptical, to say the least. They find the prophet Joseph there in Fayette, New York, or thereabouts, and sit in on a meeting, and when it's over with, Edward is so impressed that right there that night on a cold December night, he said, I am ready to be baptized if Brother Joseph will do it. Joseph says, well, Brother Partridge, you are tired, and we can take care of it in the morning, and they do. A revelation was received there, quote it to you, a revelation was received for both men. For Sidney Rigdon, the revelation, section 35 of the Doctrine and Covenants reads, and the commandment I give unto thee that thou shalt write for him. The scriptures shall be given as even as they are in mine own bosom. That's section 35, verse 20 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Now listen to that. Sidney, you're going to scribe for Joseph. You take over for John Whitmer. And I am going to give the Bible to you as it is in mine own bosom. What then is the Joseph Smith translation? It is the Bible rendered closer to the Lord's own heart. Well, that should say something right there to make everyone sit up and take notice. Well, shortly after that, the entire church moves. They move from New York to Ohio. And of course, the work of the translation is placed on hold temporarily. But once they're situated in Ohio, they begin the translation anew. Then on the 7th of March, 1830, the Lord gives a revelation, I think it's section 45, in which he commands Joseph and Sidney to stop the translation of the Old Testament and move to the translation of the New Testament. They continue on from there. Now, Joseph and Sidney are interrupted by several things during that time. Missionary service, at one point they're commanded by the Lord to stop the translation process and go face their enemies and meet them in the form of public debate. Anyway, there's a lot of things that interrupt. But by July of 1833, Joseph Smith writes in a letter that he has finished the work of translation. He said, it's been a difficult day, a lot of things going on, etc., etc. He said, we are exceedingly fatigued owing to a great press of business. We this day, July 2nd, 1833, finished the translating of the scriptures for which we returned gratitude to our Heavenly Father. So, from June of 1830 to July of 1833, he translates the Bible. Let's talk about what he actually did. First of all, the word translation. The Lord uses the word translation, but I'm afraid 
that most of us today have a different understanding of the word translation than what the Lord meant. We commonly think of translation of taking a language unknown to the world over here and translating it into a language known over here. In other words, to bridge the communication. But in the case of the Joseph Smith translation, perhaps in your vernacular, the word revision comes closer. He didn't change it from one language to another. What exactly did he do? Well, if you look at the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible, Joseph altered about 3,400 verses in the Bible. That's remarkable. 3,400 verses are changed in the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible. Now, at this point, this is where the enemies of the church rise up and quote the book of Revelation and say, whosoever addeth to this prophecy, etc., etc., you and I both know that that's not talking about the whole Bible. It wasn't even assembled when John's revelation was written. It's talking about John's specific prophecy. Besides that, even if Joseph altered John's prophecy, what one prophet writes, another prophet has the authority to add to. If it's God the same, Christ the same, in both instances, he can do what he wants through his authorized representatives and let the world wonder. And indeed, they have. So he alters about 3,400 different verses in the Bible. Oh, by the way, once he finishes the New Testament, he goes back to the Old Testament and comes forward and finishes that. He took longer translating the Bible than he did the Book of Mormon. It took him three full years and a month to translate the Bible. And what? 60 to 80 days, actually, to translate the Book of Mormon as we have it now. In the translation process, if you study the changes that the prophet Joseph made, sometimes those changes are as minuscule as punctuation. Sometimes it's as insignificant as modernizing a little bit of grammar. Sometimes it's even the spelling, labor, L-A-B-O-U-R, L-A-B-O-R. Sometimes the changes aren't that earth-shattering. Oh, but mama, sometimes they are. Oh, sometimes they are. For example, you go into the King James Bible, just look at Moses chapters 1 through 8. Just look at that section right there. In Moses 6 and 7, it talks about the book of Enoch. In the Bible, in the King James Version of the Bible, there are seven verses about Enoch. In the JST, there's a lot more than that. There's two chapters plus on Enoch. Moreover, Joseph, he's in the book of Moses talking about Enoch in Moses 6 and 7 in the translation in December of 1830. He's there in 1830, December, discussing and learning about Zion with Enoch in his revision of the Bible. At the same time, he calls Oliver, the Lord calls Oliver and others to go on a mission to what? preach to the Lamanites, and scout out the location of Zion. Brothers and sisters, the miracle, the beauty, something that'll take you the rest of your life 
to study out and get all the details is to learn that the Doctrine and Covenants and the Joseph Smith Translation marry together like that. For example, you know section 76, one of the greatest revelations in the Doctrine and Covenants, all about the three degrees of glory. And you also remember what brought it forth. Joseph and Sidney were struggling and wrestling over John chapter 5. They were translating for the Joseph Smith translation, John chapter 5, pondering over its verses when that revelation opened up. Brothers and sisters, the beauty of it is, is that that window of time that Joseph was translating the Bible between June of 1830 and July of 1833, during that three-year, one-month period, the sections of the Doctrine and Covenants from section 24 to section 97 came in that same time span. You would think, based on worldly logic, that the greatest revelations that Joseph received, those revelations that gave the most clarity to doctrine, the ones that revealed the most, the revelations, would have come at the end of Joseph's ministry when he was older, wiser, and more experienced. Not so. I challenge anyone to find revelations as comprehensive as Moses chapter 1, where the Lord reveals to Joseph through the translation of the Bible the order of the cosmos, that there are worlds, many, and one God, many earths like this one, and that my work and my glory is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. As one earth rolleth into existence, another passes out. The course of the Lord is one eternal round. Oh, baby, I am still trying to wrap my head around that. I don't think you can in this mortal life. Read section 93. It came during this same period of time when Joseph is studying the Bible. And it talks about truth and light and intelligence. I've seen the greatest scholars of our time get a headache trying to understand and explain that. What my point is, the Joseph Smith translation, the work that Joseph did to translate the Bible, was the catalyst for many, not all, but many of the revelations of the Doctrine and Covenants. In fact, most of the revelations came during that time. Thank you for listening. Many of the stories you heard today have been published and are archived at glenrossonstories.com. If you would like more information, you can communicate with us there. We will be back again with another podcast next week.